Good morning and welcome to St. Saviour's. I'm preaching to an empty room in bodies, but in spirits I rejoice that you are all with me. You know, I tend to think that as a church, we stand at the threshold of something really exciting. You know, I've spoken with many of you and I understand how frustrating it is not to be in the church building. I totally get that. And yet another side of me actually is very excited about the prospects that this allows us to think about what what it would look like to be church in the community, to be in and amongst our neighbors, the people of Lark Hall and wider Bath, and the opportunities that we have now to venture out and do some exciting things. I think the church has never been in such a strong position as it is right now. Sometimes it takes our brains to catch up to where our hearts are. And so today, in order to help that, I want to talk about something that I think is really important in the life of the church. It's called apostolic leadership. And it is very simply straight from the story of the book of Acts and straight from the story of Paul's gospel, as we read about it in Romans and First and Second Corinthians and several of his other letters. You know, I think Paul was so good about thinking of church in a way that was non-conventional. You know, he was trying to reach out and stay in touch with and advise church communities that were going through difficult times and that often found themselves in opposition to movements either within the Roman Empire, in the colonies, or opposition from the temple authorities. Paul speaks really clearly and encouragingly about what we can do in the life of the church to come across and and get over many different kinds of challenges. And so apostolic leadership is not just about me. It's not just about other visible leaders in the church. It is actually about every single one of us understanding God's call in our life, which is not just a discipleship issue, but understanding God's call in our life as a leader. Let me give you an example. You know, Paul spoke clearly about what he thought leadership was. And he uses this word some 15 times in his letters, particularly in Romans and First and Second Corinthians. And the word that he uses is asthenia. Asthenia is a Greek word. And what it means essentially is weakness. Now, We say, what does weakness have to do with leadership? You know, the world shows us what it means to be a good leader, right? You know, strength, authority, uh, being confident, being well-spoken, having degrees and letters behind your name, um, having a successful business. Or, you know, we look at the folks in government at the moment, maybe at the council level or above, you know, what it looks like to be a leader. And Paul says, I know what that is, and yet I'm choosing to identify another trait that is really important for leaders to have. 
Paul emphasizes his own weakness. Now, what do I mean by that? Paul says, I'm weak, and I am going to emphasize certain things about my condition as a human being. Uh, his inabilities, his limitations, the setbacks he's experienced in life and in his troubled past. And he says something really interesting in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why does Paul embrace this idea of leadership that's grounded in his own weakness? You know, I think that Paul is responding very clearly to what Jesus has already spoken into his life. And I'm not just making that up. I'm I'm pulling it straight from uh, Jesus's response in this same passage in 2 Corinthians. When Paul says that he asked Jesus to take away his frailty, to take away his weakness and his suffering, he says that Jesus had a response for him, and it was this. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, scholars have painted a very interesting picture of Paul. You know, they've come to understand that he was this shape-shifting personality. And what I mean by that is he would go and spend time uh, with the missionaries in, in Thessalonica or in Corinth, and he took up the practice of manual labor. He was an artisan Um, And at that time in the Roman Empire, an artisan was just kind of one layer above being a slave. So he was poor, and he voluntarily opted for this lifestyle to give him access to the people in that church. And they would sit, and they would, Paul was a canvas worker, and he would sit with them, and he would work and weave on his canvas. And if you've ever seen the film Gladiator, uh, and the, the image of the Colosseum, there And you see the, the canvas awnings that furl out as the camera pans past the Colosseum. That's the kind of thing, probably, that Paul worked on, was these big canvas awnings. And so he's sitting there doing manual labor, very low-grade labor, alongside these other church people who were all artisans. And it was a tough life. You know, it was a tough life for Paul. It often meant that as he went from community to community... Uh, if he didn't have a letter of recommendation to his fellow artisans, he was under the threat of death or beatings. Because, you know, in that economy, you aren't welcome as a competitor unless you'd had a reference from somebody else. And even then, it was a hand-to-mouth existence. We think that Paul was handicapped in some way, that he had sustained some injury in prison, probably a leg injury, and they had this probably this chronic eye condition, maybe a chronic eye disease or infection, which made his eyes red and weepy. And in person, he was even less impressive. You know, he spoke softly, he probably with an Aramaic accent, which in the communities that he was around uh, would have been thought to be foreign. You know, and he talks about the way that he presents himself. But these are all important things for Paul. 
The reality is, and what Paul knew, is that he did have status in the eyes of the world. He was a Roman citizen. You know, he would have been able to produce his papers on asking. You know, being a Roman citizen in that time was an extremely exclusive identity. He was a Pharisee. So in the eyes of the Jews, he was a very learned scholar. He was also a trusted authority among the temple authorities. You know, he had been sent out on this mission to persecute Christians because of his authority as a Pharisee. So he was a learned scholar. You know, in in modern day terms, he probably was the equivalent of an advisor in the House of Bishops uh, or maybe in the mayor's office in London, you know, because his power uh, was also in, in a political way in the temple authority as much as it was in a religious way. Paul had status. But he does something really interesting. He chooses to set it aside. You know, he talks in 1 Corinthians 2. I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he explains why this is important by saying, I came to you in weakness with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul puts on the mantle of weakness, of looking unimpressive. He puts on the mantle of servitude, and he takes off the mantle of his earthly power. And in the equivalent of that time, it would have been like taking off your purple-lined robe because purple was a sign of of wealth and power. You know, people on on their robes would have worn some element of purple if they had status. It would have been taking that off and replacing it with clothes of simple white, which is exactly what Paul talks about in baptism, is it? We're replacing the clothes of the world, our status, whether high or low, with a new identifiable, simple status in Jesus Christ. It says, I'm putting Jesus first in my way of living. And all of this is really important. You know, he's choosing to go out and minister to and evangelize a group of people whom the Jews hated. They hated him for their immoral practices, for their vile, dirty way of living, for their, their pagan orgies, for uh, all, you know, their, their tendency to prosecute each other in courts of law, you know, uh, their tendency to exact um, interest on payments. And, and Paul's going among these people and saying, I see Jesus Christ at work in you. You know, we we think about the passage that we've heard today. That's what Paul's saying. I see Jesus Christ written on your hearts to these pagan converts. And he's put aside all of his status, all of his power, all of his earthly recognition. To be in that place, to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit, working in new and different contexts with people who sometimes, you know, Paul's people felt didn't belong in church. 
It's in this way that the church grows, and it's in this way that we are all called as apostolic leaders to identify what the Holy Spirit is doing, not just in in our church family, but out in the community, out among people who others might think don't deserve a place here. But in fact, Jesus is entering their life in a profound way and drawing them in to come to faith. Faith deepens and it spreads. And the apostolic commission, which we're all part of, is that story. You know, I tend to think of it being a bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, a bit like AA. Great church is like, is like AA. And let me explain what I mean. It's about recognizing our brokenness. And it's about having a story as a church family, where others are allowed to come in and be open about their brokenness, to be honest about who they are and where they've come from, and us to accept that story as a church family and say, yes, that is us. And that our story doesn't end here. Because in recognizing that brokenness and recognizing that narrative and how universal that is, We're acknowledging that the power of Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary to change that in our life and the life of the world around us. And so what Paul is saying, apostolic leadership, is simply acknowledging the Holy Spirit runs the show, that Jesus Christ is the center. He's the center of our lives. He's the center of the church family. He's the center of what's happening outside those doors, how he's drawing people in. And that's the challenge for us. And I think it happens to be really exciting. But don't take my word for it. I'd love for you to hear the story of a close friend and colleague. Her name is Petrina. And I'm going to play her story now. I think one of the most amazing things about being in here is people are so open to talk, being talked to about God. You know, whether they believe or not, you know, quite often people come in troubled um, and, you know, you'll say, can I pray for you? And they're like, yes, please. You know, whether they believe or not, they still, you know, would like to be prayed for. And from that, you know, comes conversations about God and Jesus and... And then, you know, through here, people come into the service on Sundays, find it's nothing like they thought it was going to be, you know, it's, um, feel very welcomed and make friends and, uh, and then they get baptised, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Six years ago, I was a year clean off drugs, so I was drug addict for all my adult life. So I was really lost, as a lot of the guys are, that come in uh, addicted at the moment. This, what we do, with the church being open for people to come in, um, when I came in here, I was a mess, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I hadn't worked for years, because I was a heroin addict, so it kind of doesn't really go together, like full-time employment and drug addiction, it's just not really... um, yeah, so then I started volunteering 
um, one day a week and then I was kitchen leading and then I was asked to oversee and then eventually there was funding for the job. So I get, that's the thing that gets me really passionate is that I can sit with these the customers and go this is what God does you know he can do this not only can he turn your life around but you can be healed from all the stuff that's gone on you know and not just people that are addicted to drugs or alcohol um but you know people struggle with mental health i've struggled with mental health because it kind of comes along with using drugs all your life and and had some other not very nice experiences but yeah i can sit with them and go actually god can work this out in your life you know, what I know now is that nothing's wasted. All the years that have been destroyed through drug addiction, my life isn't anything like it was. I'm nothing like I was. I'm still me, but a whole happy, you know, version of me. <laughs> free, yeah, yeah. free version of me. Yeah, it's amazing. This church is so welcoming and non-judgmental. You know, we like to give people time and we just love them and care for them and, you know, we don't care. You know. I think just talking about Jesus and baptisms and this is how, Lord, you know, how God can transform your life or, you know, do you realise you can be healed? Do you realise you can be set free? You know, do you realise you don't have to walk in darkness anymore? You know, those conversations when I pray with people and they give their lives, you know, that makes me happy. <laughs> that makes me really happy. Yeah. And the people that come in here that really aren't interested in God and then, you know, six months later they're coming to church and six months after that they may be wanting to get baptised. You know, you see, see people sat around the living room and they're picking up the Bibles, sat there having a read. My message would be just to take risks with God. Just be uncomfortable. I've had to be uncomfortable loads. In everything new that God's called me to do, I'm uncomfortable. And I've had to just step into it. And then God does amazing things. I think if God's calling you to do something, you just can't ignore that, can you? Well, you could. I haven't been able to. It's just not worth it. Because um, as we step out in faith with him, we grow in him. And I think we start to become the people we're meant to be. I wanted to share her story with you, and I was in touch with uh, Petrina last night uh, about this and getting permission for me to share her story with you, and she was happy to do so. You know, she finds it hard telling that story because in the beginning, she felt ashamed of it. But the more she told the story, the more it resonated with other people, and the more that other people who were on the fringes of church identified with that. He said, if Trina can have faith, if Trina has a place in church, then maybe I do too. And the power of her testimony has had effect on others. 
people who haven't been through addiction, people who haven't been through those difficult times, but yet in the same way, identify the honesty, the beautiful honesty of that story and say, actually, I recognize the power of the Holy Spirit at work in Trina's life. And I want to be part of that story. Apostolic leadership isn't then just a way of leading this church or any church. It's a way of living life. It's a way of looking at the people around us and saying, I think maybe Jesus is doing something in their life. I'd love to share the story of Jesus Christ with somebody out there who I'm in relationship with. I'd love to pray with and for somebody who Jesus is doing something in who might be outside the church family. And in short, it's a way of seeing the world, I think a little bit like Jesus Christ does. Bless you guys. Have a good week.